When I think about God's faithfulness, I also think about the Old Testament. The nation of Israel, God's chosen people. He loved them very much, and he still does. He chose them, and he made a covenant with them. They broke it. God provided a way back to himself. They broke that again. God provided another way back. They fell away again. But God was faithful over and over and over again to the people of Israel. He's not perfectionistic. He chases down those that he loves. And while the continuity of the Old Testament testifies to God's faithfulness, it's not written directly to us, but it surely is for us. It's in this light that I hope we all see Romans 2 this morning. So while the passage is specifically addressed to the Jews, it's most definitely for us. The key themes we're going to be talking about are, one, hypocrisy, and two, how being set right with God starts with the heart. We're going to break it up into two sections. First, we'll talk about hypocrisy, and then we'll move on to how being set right with God starts with the heart. So Romans 2, 17 through 29. I'll be reading from the NIV translation. Now, you, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law to boast in God, if you know his will and approve what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of little children, because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Wow, pretty dense, right? Firstly, what does Paul mean when he talks about the law? Well, back in Deuteronomy 10, God gave the law to Moses. It's a bunch of rules that guide the way a Jewish person is to live. See, God chose the Jewish people to be a nation for himself, and he revealed to them specific ways to live. The special revelation was unique to the Jews. No other nation on earth had something like this. The Jewish people took a lot of pride in the law that God gave them, and they saw themselves as a witness on earth to God's ways described in that law. That's why they boast about God and the special way to live that he gave them. So let's read this one more time. Now you, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and boast in God, if you know his will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of little children, because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? Paul is basically calling them hypocrites. He's saying you're spending all your time talking about this special status and this special revelation, but you're not living it out. You're being hypocrites. Any churchy people here today? Just a few hands. <laughs> well, we're all here in church this morning. Just had some great praise and worship time. Glorifying God with our mouths. 
Yet that same mouth, I bet you, probably hurt somebody this week. Maybe it was road rage, zinger to your spouse, passive-aggressive comment to a coworker, or maybe some bold words that you left unsaid when you knew the right thing to do was to say them. When it comes to our mouths, we're all hypocrites. In fact, James 3.10 says, out of the same mouth come blessing and cursing. And that cursing undercuts our Christian witness. It's hypocrisy. So when Paul accuses the Jews of being thieves, adulterers, and temple robbers, he's not saying all Jews do these things. But those that do each of these things undercut the Jewish witness to being the light of the world through a law they can't seem to keep. The same is true for us as Christians. Our collective sin and hypocrisy undermines our witness to the world. We can't do this thing alone. We need Jesus. He's the perfect light, and we're invited into a relationship with him. A relationship that starts with the heart, which is what we're going to talk about next. So let's continue reading. Verse 25. Circumcision has value if you observe the law. But if you break the law, you have become as though you have not been circumcised. So then, if those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? The one who is not circumcised physically yet obeys the law will condemn you. Even though you have the written code and circumcision are a lawbreaker. A person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the Spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. So circumcision, yay! Why does Paul have to use such hard-to-relate-to examples? <laughs> well, this was written for us, but not to us. Let's take a moment to insert our favorite outward religious practice here. How about attending church, like we're doing right now? Not a bad thing. Actually, God commands us to gather together, just as he commanded the Jews to be circumcised. In fact, circumcision was the sign of the covenant promise that God made to Abraham all the way back in Genesis. And in the New Covenant, Jesus tells us that where two or more are gathered in his name, he is with us. So today he is with us, gathered here together. But we don't focus on the gathering. We're not the Antioch Sunday Social Club. We're the body of Christ. We're the body of Christ. It's that focus that makes all the difference. Do we attend church to check the church attendance box? Or do we tend church to be part of this crazy thing that happens when Jesus and two or more are gathered in his name? So when he says, a person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical, he means that there is more to this world than we can see. For a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. So the Jews that Paul was talking to may, would probably have been very familiar with this passage, but what Paul added was the spirit piece. Paul's saying, because of Jesus, the circumcision of the heart can now take place in believers through the power of the Holy Spirit. Great. What exactly does that mean? 
Well, let's take a look at each word individually. Circumcision and heart. I'll be using the Zondervan Illustrated Bible Dictionary as my source. So circumcision is the surgical removal of the covering of skin on the male sexual organ. God ordained this surgical procedure to be done on Abraham and his descendants to be a sign of the covenant that God made with Abraham. In that covenant, or agreement between God and man, God promised Abraham physical land and many descendants who would become a great nation. And through that nation, the whole world would one day be blessed. We don't have time to unpack this whole Abrahamic covenant today. But what's important to remember is that circumcision is a sign of an agreement between Abraham and God. God would bless him with land and descendants to the point that that blessing would overflow to the blessing of others, to the whole world. Second piece, the heart. It's what's described as being circumcised in Romans 2. Back in Paul's day, they didn't think about this four-chamber organ that science has taught us about, and they didn't think about this, this, this heart that appears on a, on a valentine that's red or romantic. Back then, they thought about the heart. It was something more like the whole moral nature of a person. It's the part that controls who we act or how we act. It's why we do what we do, even if we don't understand that why. So circumcision of the heart is a surgical procedure done by the Holy Spirit that changes the central part of a person that causes us to act. The point is there is something deeper happening here than circumcision, just like there was something deeper happening when we gather as the church. And that deeper thing is at the heart level. It starts with the heart and it involves the Holy Spirit. So how does this work? Well, Paul doesn't tell us in Romans 2. But I'd like to continue following that rabbit trail this morning, starting with a question. What was God doing before God created the world? What was God doing before God created the world? I came across that question recently in a book called Delighting the Trinity by Michael Reeves. Michael Reeves directs us to John 17, 24, in which Jesus says, Father, you loved me before the creation of the world. So before he ever created, before he ever ruled, before anything else, God was a loving father loving his son. Let's let this sink in. Before anything, God was a loving father loving his son. God was relational and life-giving before time as we know it began. And through Jesus' death on the cross, we're invited into a relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit who actually comes to dwell inside of us as believers. Whoa. He comes to dwell inside of us. Chapter 2 in Romans may sound like a lot of unimportant talk about robbing temples and circumcision, but it's really about being invited into that Trinity relationship that existed before God created the world. This is true for Jew and non-Jew alike. The circumcision of the heart is not something we can do. It's something God needs to do in us through the Holy Spirit. It starts not with more good works, but with surrender. Starting with the heart means that we desire God first and foremost. Yes, we all have dreams, desires, but we would lay them down if God asked us to. Do we seek him first when we come across a problem? Do we delight in sharing our thanksgivings with him? Do we desire relationship 
with God above our spouses. God desires intimacy with us. It's why Jesus came. He didn't just come to free us from our sins. He came to free us from our sins so that we could have a relationship with a God that was relational before the creation of the world. Yes, but what does this practically look like, Chris? Well, back in August, we had a little baby Noah. Now in nature, most animals have their babies in the spring. Any spring people here? Favorite season, spring? Couple? I know it's New England, all you rough and tough winter people. Yeah. <laughs> but spring's a time of celebration. New life is being birthed everywhere. Trees, flowers, and babies. Spring is the time for babies. Well, our spring came about six months late for baby Noah. We started in the depths of winter. He came into the world through, the, through emergency surgery, the kind where they page over the intercom and the room instantly fills with people in 30 seconds. He needed two blood transfusions, oxygen. Uh, he was connected to all these wires. He had teams of people taking care of him 24 hours a day for three weeks. Abby and I were burning the candle from both ends as we switched back and forth between staying in the hospital with Noah and trying to meet the needs of three kiddos who were hungry for love at home. Personally, we were both still struggling to process that pain and the thanksgiving of having a baby that 100 years ago most definitely would have died. That candle we were burning from both ends got smaller and smaller and smaller. We're coming to the end of ourselves very, very practically. We found our limits. We couldn't actually care for everything that was our responsibility to care for. I was angry, angry at God, angry at the medical system, even angry at people who were trying to help me. It was in this season, at this time, I found myself in a listening prayer session. What's a listening prayer session? You basically sit in a room with one or two other people for about three hours and ask God questions. But these aren't random questions, they're heart questions. Like, God, what are the lies that I believe about you? Then following those answers for hours, allowing the Holy Spirit to teach us about ourselves and about God. It's not counseling. We're relying on the wonderful counselor to meet us and set us free from patterns and strongholds that are getting in the way of finding deeper intimacy with God. The sessions are slow, intimate, quiet, and intentional. We want to hear from God, and we want to draw closer to him, whatever that looks like. So for me during this season, while Noah was still sick, the Holy Spirit highlighted that perfectionism was holding me back from a deeper relationship with God. As we progressed through the session and the Holy Spirit began to lead us through my past, where the lies took root, and the agreements I had made as a result of them, God's truth began to replace the darkness in my heart that perfectionism had occupied for as long as I could remember. But we came to a point where even though I could clearly see the truth of where perfectionism had come from and what it was doing to my life for the past 40 years, I didn't want to renounce the spiritual stronghold because for me, it was kind of like an old coat that I loved. It may have been tattered, but it was definitely still my favorite. I loved that perfectionism. It was actually part of my identity, who I thought I was. I said to my facilitator, Rick, I don't want God to change my personality. 
You see, I had this negative expectation that God was going to hurt me if I fully surrendered to him. But the truth is, God doesn't want us to just repent and renounce. He wants to give us something good in exchange. Praying that prayer with all of my heart to renounce the stronghold of perfectionism in my life was the hardest thing that I have ever done, period. But after I prayed it, God, through the Holy Spirit, told me he gave me this amazing gift, loving kindness. I didn't really know what that meant at the time, uh, but as I've unpacked that with God, he showed me that this loving kindness is nothing that I previously understood at all. It's actually... In Hebrew, the word has said, and it's more than being loving or showing kindness. It's actually more like the faithfulness that God showed the nation of Israel through the entire Old Testament. It's an attachment between people that is not dependent on their behavior. The whole process started with my heart desiring a deeper relationship with God. I didn't seek listening prayer to resolve my struggle with perfectionism. I sought listening prayer to draw closer to God. That's when the Holy Spirit changed my heart. He circumcised it by removing this bondage of perfectionism that was holding me back from a deeper relationship with him. And he gave me a piece of his own character to replace it with. Does the enemy still try to get me to care way too much about the details sometimes? Yes. Do I fall for the bait sometimes? Absolutely. But I know it's a scheme of the enemy. It's not part of my identity. The primary work the Holy Spirit did was to change how I see things that are not perfect. He taught me to see his fingerprints in things that are not perfect. He taught me to value relationships above outcomes. This whole experience was not about getting myself fixed, but about finding a deeper relationship with the Father. So what I've described thus far has been this outward reality, right? How I treat others. What's far more important is the inward reality. The inward reality is that in, my, in my quiet time, when I just hang out with the Father, I can experience his love so much more deeply. When I visualize him, I don't see him as a perfectionistic father. And I no longer believe he's sitting there dwelling on all my faults and all my failures. I can feel his loving kindness towards me in a way that I could not before the Holy Spirit circumcised my heart. So my own experience is that when I ask God to fix something, I don't see results. But when I start chasing after him, above all else, that he changes me in unexpected ways. My testimony is not that I found the secret sauce to overcome perfectionism. It's that seeking a deeper relationship with God changes you in unexpected ways. This is how the circumcision of the heart works very practically and supernaturally. It's a real thing. It's not just a theology. The Holy Spirit wants to surgically transform our hearts if we'll let him. But it's for his glory and not our own. It starts with knowing him and desiring more. I'd like to invite the band to come up. This decision to love God with our whole hearts means that we need to surrender those things that we desire more than God. And when we do, God always trades up. He's going to give us something better than we could have imagined, even if we can't see it today. Because our God is a God who desires a relationship with us. He's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He's relational at his core. 
And he invites us into that relationship, and that relationship starts with the heart. Today, I'd like for us to respond very, very practically by pulling out our phones. We're going to write an email to ourselves, or maybe you want to use your notes app, up to you. We're going to spend six minutes journaling about the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, don't get distracted on Instagram now that you have your phone out. This response today is an act of worship. God desires a relationship with each of us. How we see God and what we think about him is important. So, here's our journaling prompt. What words come to mind when you think about God the Father? Make a list. What words come to mind when you think about God the Son, Jesus? Make a list of those words. What words come to mind when you think about the Holy Spirit? Make a list. So the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Those three lists we just made are a window into our hearts. We're starting with our hearts. Now here's the cool thing. We can ask the Holy Spirit what he thinks about our lists. Let's do that right now. Let's experience the circumcision of the heart we just talked about for the past 25 minutes. Before we start, remember that when we hear God's voice, it's not condemning, it's not accusatory. If you hear something like that, it's not from God. Also, I encourage you to pray together with someone else here today. Where two or more are gathered, he is definitely with us. So here's our two questions. Father, what do you have to say about how I see you in this list? And Holy Spirit, what would you like to add to my list today?
Join me as I pray to close out our, our time here together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I pray you would reveal your character in a fresh way to my friends here today. Show them who you are and why you desire a relationship with them. God, we delight in you. Show us what is getting in the way of fully, fully experiencing that delight. Reveal the lies that we believe about you. Show us what truths we can exchange for those lies here this morning. In Jesus' name.